Hello, and welcome to Pod Rocket, the podcast that is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams to improve user experiences with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it free at logrocket.com. Hello, everyone. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhouse, and I am joined by Rachel Andrew, the prolific writer, speaker, and currently the content lead for the Chrome DevRel team at Google. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, it's really great to be here. We're really excited to have you on. So maybe for those of us who are less familiar with your work, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role. Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, I'm content lead for Chrome Web Developer Relations. So that means that my day job is really about creating resources and documentation for web developers. We've got two websites. We have web.dev and developer.chrome.com. So we publish lots of material there for developers. I'm also a CSS Working Group member, so I represent Chrome in the CSS Working Group. I've had a sort of fairly long history working on the web platform and with open standards is sort of the, the thing that I like to focus on. I definitely get excited about new browser features and especially new CSS features and really enjoy being able to share that with developers. That is fantastic. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about that you've been working on a lot lately is something called Baseline. So could you tell us a little bit more about what Baseline is and how it's useful for developers today? This sort of there's a sort of thing that's very common, a very common theme in when we're talking to developers, really before I was at Google, something that would come up all the time is when can I use this feature? When is this sort of safe to use, as it were? Or is this something that we should just be playing with and experimenting with? Or can we actually use it in production? And the research that we do at Google, we hear this all the time, as top problem that developers have um, is how to know when something is, is, is ready to go in, in their projects. So the idea of baseline was to start grouping features and saying this sort of collection of things, because not all some features are very granular. You can you only need to look at the property name. Does, does that actually work? Other things actually need quite a lot of stuff to function. So grouping features and saying this group of features is in or out of baseline. And baseline at the moment is defined as the last major browser version and the one before. So essentially, if it's if a feature has um, being shipped in the, in that sort of two two browser cutoff, we're saying this is probably something you could use in production. So mm -hmm. that rather than every web development team having to go around kind of feature by feature and think, can I use this? Can I use this? Can I use this? There's this sort of line in the sand. The sort of advantage of that is that anything that provides things for developers. So if you are a say a framework, you can say to developers everything that our framework uses is in baseline. And therefore, they don't have to check, oh, if I use this framework, will I then find that, oh, things don't work in Firefox um, or things don't work. It's a nice line. And also writing articles. If I think quite often you'd be reading an article, that, oh, yeah, this solves my problem. This is exactly what I need to know. You get halfway down and the author starts using an experimental feature. Like, That's no use. <laughs> I can't use that today. So the idea being that if I'm publishing an article, I can say, Everything in this article is part of baseline. So if you follow it, it'll give you what you need to know, but also it'll give you stuff that you can actually use right now, not something that's only in Chrome Canary right now. So I believe that Chrome releases monthly, but how often do the other browsers release, like Firefox and Edge, I think, is run on the Chrome V8 engine. But, you know, how, how frequent 
is it that there will be features that are not going to come out for one very specific browser that people need to wait for? So Chrome and Firefox both release monthly now. And Safari has a slower cadence of these sort of their major versions, but actually recently they've been doing very large releases in in sort of dot releases. So they're actually becoming more like major versions now. And so they're doing quite frequent. They're not on the regular predictable cadence that, that Chrome and Firefox have locked themselves to, but there are very frequent Safari releases coming through. All three major engines are releasing quite quickly. So there's kind of new stuff happening all the time. Of course, there's always going to be features which aren't yet interoperable, aren't yet available across all browsers for various reasons. And I think that that's really where we're going with Baseline is saying this collection of stuff is. It doesn't mean that people can't use those features that aren't in there, but you know that if you're using something that's not part of Baseline, it might need a bit more care and attention. And you can make that choice. You can say, actually, this is a progressive enhancement. It's fine if people don't have it. Or actually, we can polyfill this. There's a good alternative way of doing this for the people who don't have support. But you're not having to do that for the entire web platform. You're, just, you're able to just say, oh, it's this one thing that currently is only in Safari. And I can use that for those users and do a polyfill for everybody else or what have you. So that brings me to another question. How has it been working with other browser vendors? What is that like? Is there a lot of, is it a good process? Is it difficult to get everybody together in the same room or to agree on what's the next thing on the roadmap that everyone should support? How does that go? Yes, there's various ways that we work together. Any standards process is involving multiple browser vendors. So, you know, on the CSS working group, there are representatives of all the browser vendors there. Because a lot of stuff on the web platform, it's not necessarily that a browser doesn't want to do it. It's not that the team are saying, oh, no, we're never going to do this. Actually, it might just be that it's complicated in that engine to do it. It's actually mm-hmm. going to be quite hard to do that. So quite a lot of standards work is figuring out can we all do this? So this is collaboration because there's actually no point in doing something in one browser that's impossible for everybody else to do because we know that developers want things to be interoperable. So yeah, and then we're working with other browsers in various ways. This is at the Interop 23 project, which aims to get a subset of features that we've selected, aims to get them working across all of the engines. So there's various things. And you find if you look at the dashboard for Interop, there are every browser is somewhere lagging behind and somewhere in the lead in the different features because it's not just one browser is always out in front. It's quite varied because of the different focuses. We're doing lots of ways of working together and and that's because everyone at every browser understands that it has to be interoperable for people to actually use it, for most developers to use things. Yeah. So how do you prioritize what is going to be on the roadmap and what's going to be next? the next thing that everybody tries to support? Yeah, so in things like Interop, and that, that process was a sort of open process of people suggested things, and then there was a kind of a consensus building process. As I say, any browser could veto something, and it might just be that we just don't have resources to, to put on that right now. or So making sure that we're not promising things that just actually are impossible for whatever reason. You occasionally get features that... Various browsers have done sort of big rewrites. Chrome did one fairly recently with Rendering NG. And there's a whole bunch of things that were held up behind that process. It wasn't, you know, you're sort of waiting for this big thing to happen. A bit like a refactoring of any code. You say, we can't add any new features because we've got to do this thing. (laughs) So that was all going on. And then a bunch of stuff was enabled. So a lot of that prioritization comes down to what's most useful for developers 
but also what is actually possible for us to to land because there's no point making empty promises we want to make promises that we can keep and that we there is actually a good chance that we will get to the end of the year and have all these things landed sure so you said that baseline is the last two versions of a browser that's what you're saying constitutes that it is in baseline or not so how often does baseline update itself does it say that every month or every two months it goes back and checks what's new in the browsers for support yeah so the baseline will be a constantly moving line as you know new things come and then become mature enough they will then be part of baseline so a good example might be subgrid css grid is going into Chrome very soon. And I think in 116, there was the intent to ship and just went out. We wait until Chrome 118, and then that would become part of baseline because it's already it's been in Firefox and Safari for ages. At that point, we'd say, well, that's part of baseline. That line is moving. So what we're intending to do then is at the end of the year is to make a kind of static line of this is baseline 24. So we can say, this is a static point in time. This is what is supported on the web platform right now. If projects want to lock to a yearly line, then they can do that. They can say, we're going to support everything that's in Baseline 24. And then at the end of next year, we'll declare what Baseline 25 is. So there's two things here. There's this moving line, which moves every month as things land. And then there's this a sort of a static yearly cut. This is what the platform looks like right now. And you can depend on that. And, and we'll be able to see then what shifts between two years and things. I think it'll be quite interesting. Nice. That sounds like a really interesting look back to see how much has been accomplished in the past year for the browsers. Yes, I think people would generally be quite surprised at how much <laughs> changes. Um, yeah. Okay, so how how can library and tool authors show their support for Baseline? Because you said they can put some kind of a disclaimer or something into probably the GitHub README or on their documentation sites, but are there other things that they can do to help make Baseline more well-known and say that they're adhering to those standards? Yeah, so we're working on a bunch of things. Obviously, anyone can figure this out for themselves. They can look at what they're, say, writing about, and they can just state that. And we're also working on more kind of automated ways of doing this sort of stuff. Um, We're hoping to get the actual feature groupings for most things done by the end of the year. And I think then there'll be an opportunity to do stuff like query that data, data set. So you can automatically say this all of this is in baseline or test against it. And I think that's the sort of stuff that library and framework authors would be particularly interested in. But yeah, so we're ho- once we've got the feature grouping complete, we're hoping to provide more sort of badges and automated ways for people to show stuff. But yeah, so it's, we're rolling this out. At the moment, we've got stuff on some of web.dev and MDN have started rolling it out on some of their pages. So that's an ongoing process at the moment. Very cool. That's As a developer, personally, that's what I love is just an automated workflow that goes through, checks for me, gives me a check mark that everything is good to go and I don't really have to think about it. So having something like that sounds perfect. Yeah, I think there's there's masses of opportunity here to create good tooling that lets people look stuff up, have it built into other tools that we're using and so on. So I think there's, yeah, loads of opportunity there. So I do have to ask, because it's been around forever, and it's sort of a competitor, but the more you talk about Baseline, the less I think that they're the same tool. How would you compare this to Can I Use, which has been the behemoth that everybody goes to, looks at, sees what's supported, what's not? How would you compare that to Baseline? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously some 
some similarities. I think the difference is that there you are looking up again a feature at a time. You're, often, you're not able to have this full grouping. We're hoping that actually we'll be able to incorporate baseline into Can I Use or other projects like that because I think they serve slightly different things. I think it's a bit like the MDN compact data as well that you'll find on any property page in MDN. If you want to know exactly when a certain thing got into browsers and go back and figure out. If you need to know that level of data, that exists. You can do that right now. Baseline is much more just being able to say, is this in or out? And not worry about exactly when it got in <laughs> or, you know, and things like that. So I think that's the difference, really. It's, it's just being able to have that broad overview rather than going feature by feature, which you can already do, but everybody's having to do that. So... Let's talk a little bit more about the interop groups, because those are something that I'm not very familiar with. And I'd love to hear like how you walk through some of the features that are newly interoperable for 2023, for instance. Yeah. So I mean, there's a sort of a bunch of stuff that has recently got into browsers, things that have happened this year. I write a post, I write posts about things on web.dev. So when we spot that things have actually landed in the sort of third engine, usually, we try and write some posts. I think probably the the biggest thing that people have been excited about this year has been container queries. As someone who has talked about CSS for a very long time, it's been the thing that people have asked me for the most. Why can't we do container element queries rather than media queries? So now we can. Size container queries in all three major engines at this point. And so you can query the size of a component rather than just the size of the viewport. And I think so I think that's probably our biggest thing that because it is just such a useful thing when people these days tend to work in component libraries and pattern libraries. We're not building web pages as a thing who tend to work with components. And actually, there's a kind of common theme that there's quite a lot of things coming into the platform that kind of speak to that sort of change in the way that we design websites. Other things, media query range syntax, which is a tweak to how we express media queries which is quite interesting. So that gives you a sort of a range syntax rather than the very verbose way of doing media queries. That's like a little tweak, but that's now in, in all of the engines. And I think another sort of with CSS stuff, which essentially what I talk about, with all of the new color spaces and functions, I've been able to use lab color and LCH and all of these more broad ranges of colors that we haven't been able to use that suddenly we can just use and, and <laughs> in all browsers you know it's amazing um so yeah i think all of that stuff is is really exciting and you know seeing all of that landing in browsers so quickly i think it's quite surprising to people people think that oh you know it'll be ages before i can use this stuff and actually that that's not the case anymore things just are appearing so quickly yeah, it really seems like the floodgates have opened lately for CSS. It's having a moment. There's, there's tons of stuff. Um, if, if, if people want to play with the new CSS color stuff, a colleague of mine, Adam Argyle, has released a little tool called gradient.style. It's as the URL, gradient.style. And it's like a little gradient generator, but it uses all of these new color spaces. And so it's a really good way just to experience what you can get with that. So that's a cool thing to play with. Oh, very cool. We will definitely have to link to that and I'll have to take a look at it after we get off this call. So I guess one of one of the questions that I have is how do you keep up with all of the new features that are hitting the browsers? Do you have to dig deep into their documentation? Is it something that you have some sort of news alert set up for? How do you 
keep abreast of all these new changes that are coming at what seems like a faster and faster pace every day. Yeah, well, it is kind of my job. So that you know, <laughs> I think I think if you're if you're a web developer trying to do your job, which is building web applications, and you're having to keep up with this stuff, it's a lot of work. So I think one of the things that that I can do and my team can do is actually do that for developers. I write a, a monthly post on web.dev, which just highlights the key things that are coming to not just Chrome, but all of the browsers. And so I'll try and list the key things there. So that, that's a good way for, for people who don't want to spend their time digging around to keep up. And follow the people who work at browsers. There's quite the DevRel teams for each browser are always useful for people to follow on various social media because we all get excited about various things and we're happy to share them. But yeah, I think it, it isn't always easy to keep up. And that's why I've started publishing this stuff to try and, because I spend my time figuring out what is happening. It's great then to be able to give it in a nice little synopsis. Yeah, head over to web.dev and at the end of the month, I, I try and write a roundup of the things. <laughs> For things that aren't yet supported by all of the browsers, is there anything that folks can do to either make the browsers aware that these things, that they want these things in them, or are there petitions or online ways of helping push things up the priority list? I think if a lot of the browsers have got open bug trackers, you can go and star the bugs and things. But I, I always say to people, make sure you're actually talking about this stuff and writing about it and make, making a bit of noise about things that, that you're keen to see, because that's often really important. Because I think as we're looking for things, say for the interrupt project, or we're just trying to get a sense of what is important to developers, that kind of community noise and interest is something that we're looking at because we're building browsers for developers and for then the end users that we're building sites for. So that matters. And generally, as I say, the DevRel folks for most browsers are tend to be around and are always happy to chat about the use cases. And certainly with CSS as well, the CSS working group work is all on GitHub and so with things that are still in a sort of developing stage, the, the specs are still being developed, that's somewhere where people are very welcome to come and post their use cases and say, this is something I need to do. How can we do this in CSS? Is this something that, that could be specified? Because we're bringing out new things all the time and it's in service of what developers need. Can you give us any ideas of what's coming next for Baseline in the working groups? I guess it, it's really, it's those things that are coming up to be interoperable. So I think I mentioned Subgrid, which is coming to Chrome fairly soon. So that's a feature that hopefully we'll see soon in baseline. There's something that I find quite interesting. There's app property, which allows you to specify, do type checking on CSS custom properties, which can just make your CSS a lot more robust. That is something which is part of the interop project. So hopefully it's not yet in Firefox and hopefully it will become part of Firefox due to that. So there's a couple of things. Let's say the things that are in Interop 23 are good to watch because they're likely to end up becoming interoperable. I think subgrid is going to be a key feature for people once once we have that in grid layout. That's going to enable an awful lot of stuff for people. Yeah, I just used container queries probably for the first time a couple of months ago and was astounded at how easy it made something that had 
previously been so difficult in CSS. So subgrid is going to be another one. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I think a lot of these things, once developers get them, they're like, why did this take so long? And it's because it kind of builds on a whole bunch of stuff that had to happen before this thing, which seems very simple, would be there. And it's, that's interesting in itself. But yes, yeah, container queries are super easy to use if you've ever used a media query and then solve an awful lot of problems. Yeah. So it's great to see this stuff, particularly things that people have been asking for a long time. It's lovely to be rolling it out. I know that you talked a little bit about some of the newest things that have come out that you've covered in web.dev, like media queries and color levels and nesting. Are there any other CSS things that we should be aware of that we should try out, look out for, give a second glance to? Yeah, I think I think that's probably the key stuff. As I say, May, I would suggest people look at, look really look at this new stuff. A lot of it is it's, it's perfectly possible for people to actually incorporate, has good fallbacks, things like the color stuff. You can use with fallback RGB colors so you can start enhancing things. And I think that when we're seeing that things are there in browsers and are in baseline, well supported, I think that's a really good time to be starting to look at using them and really digging into them and seeing if you're happy with your own level of browser support to, to actually start to incorporate those. I feel like there's so much for people to learn right now. And to see the problems that it solves, because I think each of these things on their own is really cool. But I think the combinations are what's exciting. Subgrid and container queries, there's a bunch of stuff that, that you can do there. For instance, add a certain breakpoint, turn on the subgrid and line things up with the master grid or whatever. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. So I think I, I would really recommend that people start to look at these things in combination and say, you know, what what do they enable together? Because I think that's where the really exciting stuff will come. Yeah, that's the secret sauce when you start to mix them in unique and unusual ways that weren't possible before. So I wanted to pivot a little bit away from baseline and talk more about you because you've had quite a storied career since the early 2000s in web development of all sorts. You've written a number of books, you've written countless articles, you've done amazing speaking engagements. And it seems like the majority of them have been on quite wide topics, large swaths of the CSS landscape or just really big web development topics. So I was wondering, how do you decide what you're going to write or speak about? Because these are really big, big areas that you're diving into. Typically throughout my career, it's been the stuff that I've just, I've figured out. I don't have training in this. I left school at 16 and I went to be a dancer. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, I ended up with a computer. So this is 96. And so I started teaching myself sort of web design as it was, which was like a bit of HTML and the ability to look graphics on pages. Realized I was actually a terrible web designer, but I was a reasonable developer and taught myself Perl was the sort of first language that I learned. But the whole time I was doing this, I was writing it up because I was getting a lot of help in forums and so on. And so I started thinking, oh, well, I'll help the new people because lots of people were discovering the web. And so I was spending my time writing up what I was doing and just sharing it. So that's all I've ever done, which is why if you dig back far enough, I've done talks about Puppet and provisioning servers. I've done talks about business. I've run my own business for a very long time. You know, Google's my first full-time job in, in 20 odd years. I've done stuff about business. Um, and I was, I was mainly a PHP developer for years and years and years. So it's always been that. It's always been, this is stuff that I've learned, and I think I'm reasonable at sharing stuff in a straightforward way. I think that's my key skill. 
And probably because none of it's ever been that easy for me to learn because I didn't have the background. I, I didn't know the technical terms. I still often don't. I'll be in a working group meeting and everyone's saying some like really obvious math construct and I just don't know what it is. And they keep saying it and I'm like, that's obviously a thing. <laughs> and and you're Googling what this acronym could be. <laughs> and I'll look it up and then I'll be like, oh, it's that thing. I just didn't know what the word for it was. I'll quite, I'll have, I'll understand what some algorithm is that people call it something, but I know it from doing. And so I think that's always been how I've figured stuff out. And then once I figured it out, I just share it with people because why not? And honestly, I do that with everything. It's like at work, I figure out how to do something, some admin, boring admin task. And then I'm like, oh, I'll write that down. And then someone else is like, oh, I've got to do this boring admin task. Oh, it's fine. I've got a checklist. <laughs> so that's just what I do. It's just, oh, this this is interesting. Oh, this has solved a problem. I bet I'm not the only person, so I'll share it. And I think that's what I enjoy doing. And being able to work on a browser and work work on the web platform, I'm just solving bigger problems, problems that lots of people have rather than an individual project. But it's still the same thing. I'm just figuring something out and telling people about it. <laughs> I've written countless articles and notes to myself for that very same reason, because I end up coming back to it a year or two later and have completely forgotten how to do something or what the way to do it oh yeah it's when i search for something that i find an article that i wrote and i'm like well i obviously knew that sometime (laughs) i have to ask if you know you're just you're learning you're putting it out there how would you give advice to people who have not really done this or feel like everybody's already written about everything that is available on the web what advice do you have for them to find those things that are unique or their take on something I think everyone's experience of this stuff is unique. Everyone has a different perspective. The projects that you know each developer is working on are different. And so there's always new things to talk about. So I don't think anyone should ever worry about writing something. Or everybody's written about this. Or there's this expert in the field who's written every possible thing that could be about this. That's not true. I've written masses of stuff about CSS Grid, for example. I know that's back inside out, but... I write about it in a much more kind of academic way, whereas there are people writing articles about real problems they have solved in their company, and that's different to me. So they're contributing to the conversation. I don't think you ever need to worry about things have all been done, because that's never true, because we all have different experiences, and it's the thing that you learned may well be completely missing from everybody else's articles. That's the thing that you figured out. And so, yeah, you should never, ever worry about about that because and also just the different way people teach things someone will really get the way I do it but another person might watch someone's video or just the explanation that someone else makes will click better for them we all learn very differently and so I think yeah never worry about that just get the stuff out there it will help someone you know it's all about the perspective that you bring to the conversation Mm, absolutely looking forward and looking forward to the end of 2023 and into 2024 are there any things that you're really excited about in WebDev that we haven't already talked about? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. I'm quite in- interested by things that the sort of Open UI project are working on. So recently, Popover has gone into Chrome. And I think those kind of things, so that's developing these components that essentially every web developer has to build themselves over and over again so things like we, we had dialogue a little while ago pop over these are things that everyone is having to do 
And when we have to build them, we have to build in all the accessibility. We have to make sure that these things are going to work for people who are using the keyboard. And so I think bringing those things actually to the platform so you've got something which has all of the accessibility, performs really well, and you just need to make it look the way that, that you want it to do. And that's really exciting. So I think getting those new sort of elements that give us that is is going to be transformative. Because let's say there's just this whole bunch of work that every team is having to do, to do very fundamental things. So that work I find really interesting because there's just so many problems to solve there. It's difficult stuff to get it right, especially around things like accessibility. But I think it's very valuable work if we can get it right. If we can get these native elements into the browser, there are so many NPM packages that will suddenly become obsolete that have been toast toast libraries, popovers, modals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think that stuff is really exciting. And as I say, it's potentially very valuable because it's going to save a lot of people time and then make the end user experience better as well because things will work in a way that is expected if they're part of the browser rather than everyone deciding how they should make these things work. And then you get things that you're just like, I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> so yeah, I think that sort of stuff is cool. But yeah, there's just so much interesting stuff, you know, depending on what your particular interests are. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or encourage people to find you online or anything else that we haven't talked about so far? Yeah, I'm at Rachel Andrew in most sort of social media-ish places. I'm fairly easy to find. You can search for me. You'll turn me up going on about CSS somewhere. And if you've got comments about Baseline in particular, the work for that is being done in the WebDX community group. It's not just a, a Google thing. So it, particularly with Baseline, if you head over to the, find the WebDX community group on the W3C, you can raise issues and things there if you'd like to actually talk. Also, you're very welcome to, to ping me directly. I'll point you in the right direction. I, I say I'm at Rachel Andrew everywhere and I'm Rachel Andrew at google.com at work. You can get hold of me there. So yeah, do if you've got sort of comments and questions and thoughts, do share them because this is for you. It's for developers to make things better for developers. We want to make sure we're doing the right things. <laughs> exactly. Tell us what you need. Wonderful. Thank you again for joining us. It has been great to have you on and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you.